Attention, ditto heads. Attention, Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now, here's Bo Snurdly. Welcome. It is our Monday edition of Bo Snurdly's Rush Hour here on WABC. If you please... And you'd like to be on the program, 800-848-WABC is the number to call. 800-848-9222. All right, something rare. I have to start off by issuing a correction and an apology. Those things are always going to be taken care of first thing, first order of business. Last week, when we started talking about the influx of migrants into New York, there was a story in the New York Post. That story, and it was in other places as well, other news outlets reported it, that story said, in effect, that at least at one hotel, veterans had been thrown out of the hotel to make way for illegal immigrants. And your host lost his mind. How could this happen in America? And it was uh, a subject that I spent quite a bit of time on. And the specific claim was not only was it veterans from the Afghanistan campaign, but veterans from the Vietnam era as well. And this is something that in the days after, I spent days repeating in total outrage. It turns out the founder of a nonprofit group has now been accused of fabricating that story about homeless military veterans being evicted from a New York City, a New York State hotel, the Crossroads Hotel, to make room for migrants. That tale stoked outrage on cable news networks and not only cable news network, but everywhere. One Republican lawmaker in New York who helped, who also disseminated that story, is now calling for an investigation. The story told by Yerrick Israel Tony Foundation Chief Executive Sharon Tony Finch was picked up May 12th by the New York Post and quickly followed on Fox News, Newsmax, and other conservative outlets. On Friday of last week, the New York Post published a follow-up story. Our veterans have been placed in another hotel due to what's going on with the immigrants. She said her group didn't waste time in finding relocation for them. After a reporter started checking out the story from Mid-Hudson News, that reporter learned that managers of the hotel said that was not true. And not only wasn't it true, that paperwork supporting the claim that Crosswords Hotel paid 
30000 had been paid $37,800 to house the veterans. Well, that paperwork appeared to be doctored. In a follow-up report Friday, the Mid-Hudson News reported that several men staying at a homeless shelter in Poughkeepsie, New York, had come forward to say they were recruited to pretend they were among the veterans kicked out of the hotel. Some of them say they were offered $200, food and alcohol, to take place in the ruse. Fake news. Who would lie about something like this and why? There are people who apparently do lie about something like this. Why? Obviously, there is a political motive. So for any of you who were affected by my outrage over what now turns out to be a false story, I apologize that I fell for it. I apologize that I actually read it in the New York Post and considered it a sound source. And I'm not going to knock the New York Post. Most of the time they get the story right. As in the case of the Hunter Biden laptop. They were fooled by someone who deliberately set out to lie. And so we were all taken in by the same liars. At least that disgusting element of the story was not true. And that, I guess, is a reason to be a little bit celebratory. At least that disgusting allegation turns out to be not true. On to another story that may have some ramifications is fake news. We talked about this briefly over the weekend. Lawyers for the pregnant nurse who was mislabeled as a Karen because she was involved with a conflict with a black young man over a bicycle. This woman had been placed on leave. Her lawyers now say they're going to sue some of these publications that defamed her as a Karen, as some sort of racist, and threatened her well-being in terms of her career, they are going to sue. The video has over 10 million views. She mounted the bike. She paid for the bike. She ended up backing off of the docking station after some of these people came and said it was their bike. And the news media went, Full hog. Now, that story, the day that it ran, I did not. Something just told me, don't go with this story. And I didn't spend any time with it that day. But now, now she's uh, her attorneys are saying, yep, yep, you, you people in the news media that call her a Karen, you're going to pay. The Florida NAACP, that is the acronym that Rush used to use when talking about the NAACP, he called it the NAACP. Yeah, the National Association of Advancement for Liberal Colored People. They still use that colored people thing. They're not changing their name. 
But anyway, as you may know, they issued a travel warning. Don't go to Florida. Florida is hostile to blacks. Ludicrous, right? I happen to remember when the NAACP used to actually do good work. I'm old enough to remember when the NAACP was in the vanguards fighting for civil rights, actually fighting for the advancement of people, particularly black people. I remember when the NAACP was not a subsidiary wholly owned or did not act like a subsidiary of the Democrat Party. In fact, some of the greatest names in African-American history have been associated with the NAACP, W.E.B. Du Bois, Du Bois, Du Bois. And you had many people all across the political spectrum, Jewish, Christian, black, white, Asian, Native American, back in the day, people of goodwill from all over joined with the NAACP as they fought to fight for the advancement of the American dream. It is very sad to me what has happened to that organization. Once proud organization once a rich and illustrious history. And now they're reduced to just being a bunch of radical liberals echoing, parroting, or in some cases coming up with Democrat Party talking points. Now, as soon as they issued this travel advisory, Governor DeSantis' office ticked back and said, this is crazy. Of course not. And they put up a picture of NAACP officials partying, as they say, chilling out in Clearwater. And later we learned that one of the chairmen, one of the big guns at the organization, actually lives in Tampa, Florida. So it's not, I guess, hostile to them. But isn't this amazing where you have cities like Chicago where on the average weekend black young men, black young women, children lose their lives to violence. You have schools in Baltimore that can't seem to educate black children at a proficient rate. And that story's told all over blue cities in America where, where schools that are in communities that are mostly black are failing to meet their educational mandates. And yes, the, and the NAACP, what do they have to say about that? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. You have big retailers that are leaving black communities, banks that are leaving because of the problem in crime. What does the NAACP have to say about any of that? Nothing. You have the body parts of black babies that are being harvested in the womb by, by the genocidal Planned Parenthood on a massive scale. And what has the NAACP ever said about people evil enough to chop up the bodies of black infants? Nothing. And yet, to score some cheap political points, they'll tell you don't go to Florida. Florida is hostile to black people, even though 
their own cha- one of their own big wigs lives in Florida, and others in the NAACP are partying down in Florida. Pathetic, actually. It's pathetic and laughable at the same time, but to me it's mostly sad. It's mostly sad that this is what, after being such an iconic part of true change in America and playing such a vital role in helping to advance the lives of people in America, it's sad to me that this is what this organization's epitaph will be. Just another of many slaves to the Democrat Party. And it's pretty pathetic. A story that could actually explain so much in America is out today. You can find it at the Daily BS, the dailybs.com, among other places. Religion is declining in America. It has been declining, as you know, for decades. But now, the number of people who actually believe in God is shrinking to such a level that it is alarming. We'll have more on that a bit later in the program. The MTA... with their congestion pricing getting ready to kick in, which will further deteriorate living standards in this beautiful city, has now issued word that they want to increase shopping. uh, They want to increase transit fares. Yep, they want you to pay more so that you can take your life in your hands to go on New York subways. Instead of paying two twenty two seventy five to take your life in your hands, now they want you to pay two dollars and ninety cents, and they're moving toward three dollars. They're calling it reasonable. Sure, it's reasonable. Come pay more to ride with us and take your chances. Roll the dice. One woman who one woman who rolled the dice. Emine Azoy, 35-year-old woman, is now clinging to life. She may never walk again after a stranger shoved her into the side of a train pulling out of an Upper East Side subway station. She was at Lexington and 63rd Street. Normally one of the safest parts of the, you know, this is supposed to be one of the safest parts in the city there is. She's a Turkish immigrant, lives in Jackson Heights, suffered severe head and spinal injuries. She underwent two lengthy surgeries. She now has a 10% chance of ever walking again. The assailant came up from behind her and shoved her into a departing E-train. Her head struck the moving train. So now the MTA would like to offer her and many others a chance to pay more, more of your hard-earned money, so that you can roll the dice with them and see whether you're lucky enough to come out alive and intact. Thank you, Mayor Adams. Thank you.
MTA. Striving to do all they can to make life in New York City more unbearable. More unbearable by the day. 800-848-WABC. Tammy Bruce will be with us today. Your call is part of the program here on Boston Early's Rush Hour. So glad you're here. Stay right here. Hour with Bo Snurdly on 77 WABC. James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is the Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. Bo Snurdly's Rush Hour on WABC. Fleetwood Mac brings us back in 2014. Christine McVie was honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Ivor Novello Songwriting Awards. Of course, she played with Fleetwood Mac for 28 years, wrote some of their most famous songs, including this one. Some of the other winners included the Chemical Brothers and... The great songwriter, producer, band leader, Nile Rodgers. That was in 2014, my friends. Of course, those of you old enough to remember the Clinton campaign, the first one, they used this as their theme song. And that kind of started this trend of using... um, Popular music as campaign theme songs. Of course, nobody objected. Now, anytime a Republican plays any song, the next thing you have is an injunction, a lawsuit, and a lot of whining and carping from whoever wrote the song. Uh, Here's something that, my friends, you would never uh, think possible. A Republican. A Republican. This is one of those stop the presses moment. Stop the presses. Stop. Wait. What? A Republican candidate for president has received a stunningly kind of glowing article in Politico. I mean, this is... This just doesn't happen. This is the way that Politico starts on the announcement from Tim Scott that Tim Scott is running for the presidency of the United States on the Republican ticket. 55 things you need to know about Tim Scott. The senator from South Carolina has a personal story that confounds easy political 
categories. They begin by saying there's never been anybody in the history of the Republican Party quite like Tim Scott, a descendant of enslaved people, the second son of a single mother, a bachelor, a teetotaler, and an erstwhile insurance salesman, the convivial, they're calling him convivial. That, that means that people like him. They're actually, what? Huh? People like a Republican? People can like a Republican? People that read Politico, that, that work for Politico, can like a Republican? The convivial 57-year-old South Carolina descendant is uniquely skillful, a uniquely successful black conservative from the South. What? A successful black conservative? To, 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 to Politico, most conservatives are the sons and daughters of, of, of Spawn. They're, they're Hellboy. They're, they're not even considered functioning human beings, and yet Here's Tim Scott. He's a successful black conservative. Did you even know that such a thing existed to liberals in America? A successful black conservative? I wonder how many, I mean, I wonder how many rounds this story had to go through with the edit process. Can you imagine when the editor, when this story was first pushed to the editors, they must have looked at the, a successful black conservative. Get this, get this crap off of my desk. Go rewrite. But they went with it. What do people know about the man who has now joined fellow South Carolinian, Carolinian Nikki Haley and other outsiders like the outsider entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy and soon to be. Official candidate Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, they left off some. Asa Hutchison is running, and they left off one of our guys from up here, who I know you're definitely happy is running, Chris Christie. Yeah, Chris Christie said he's going to throw his hat and everything else into the ring. So, I mean, there you go. But they, they leave him out. One thing to know about Tim Scott, he's the only black Republican in the United States Senate. Okay. Two, he's the only black person ever to serve in both chambers of Congress. Oh, wow. Three, he's, on, he's only one of 11 black people in the history of the company to be in, in the history of the country to be in the Senate. Well, Garley, Margie, that's really, that's quite a something, ain't it? Number four, America is not a racist country, he has said. Think about it. This is the number four thing to know about the man. The man said, America is not a racist country. And Politico thinks that is so, that's just so unique. That's the number four attribute behind him being the only black, the only black, the only black, the one and only, one of the only blacks. So you get, he's the only black, he's the only black, 
He's one of the only blacks, and then you, then you get America is not a racist country. Well, I'll be darned. And it goes for 51 more things to know about him. This does not happen in Politico. WABC Talk Radio 77. Your calls are coming up. We're going to talk with Tammy Bruce as well. My good friend Tammy Bruce is with us today. Don't go away. Rush. This is the Rush Hour with Bo Snerdly. Bo Snerdly on 77 WABC. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. Sheik. Nile Rogers. On WABC, we are the crown jewel of American radio. And a good time for me is being able to speak with a woman I consider to be a dear friend, one of broadcasting's most amazing talents, Tammy Bruce. Tammy, ah, so good to have you back on the show. How are you? Uh, I'm good, but you're showing our age with playing that chic music. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's great stuff, man. It's great stuff. But you know what? I was the other day uh, on the Saturday show. We were all uh, those of us that were old enough then, and my crew isn't. Most of them are kids, uh-huh. right? Yeah, uh, we yeah. were we were telling people what we were wearing back in the day. <laughs> I had platform. Yeah. I had red platform shoes and my oh, fur boy. vest and my hand painted uh, bell bottom pants. Yeah, good times. <laughs> it is good times. So nice to be on with you again, dear. Thank you, and I'm not, and I wasn't wearing a female uh, bathing suit either. Unlike, I'm the, yeah, well, <laughs> I neither saw was I, the, as a matter of fact. But there you go. Boom! <laughs> I saw the segment that you did on Fox about, and it started off discussing this uh, swimwear and what mm-hmm. Adidas has done with this mm-hmm. m- putting a biological man in the swimwear and promoting it and. I would just like you to share with us your thoughts on what is in the world is happening with this the transgender movement. And at the very first thing, and I always say this, I believe that dysphoria is a real thing. Sure. And I believe that people that suffer from dysphoria deserve compassion and understanding. And by the way, dysphoria can is not just limited to people and their sexual matters. And any of us who deal with weight and and oh and in one way or another can understand dysphoria in a small way and what mm-hmm. that can do mm-hmm. to your psyche. This is a real thing. But that said, talk to us about this trend of putting a biological women in sports, a men in in women's sports and also now mm-hmm. the fashion. 
aspect. Yeah, you know, and this is this is the what the left always does is they co-opt issues that are emerging or major issues of importance and then use them to divide and conquer, if you will. So what we're seeing is whether it's the Bud Light situation or now this Adidas situation where you have Adidas in uh, their, on their website in the section uh, for women, but because we are coming up to Pride Month, they have this for the, a section for women, not a section for, you know, you know, all genders or, you know, just for pride, if that's the, an issue, uh, but for women. And it is an obvious male. Some of the media has been saying male presenting. No, it's a dude. It's a dude with all the equipment. <laughs> we know the difference. We, we, we don't need to be gaslit there. And uh, also a uh, hairy chest. And he's positioned in a way that makes sure that you see that bulge, specific shots of the hairy chest. And, you know, this is being categorized as something related to transgender people. The same with the Bud Light situation, that this is about a transgender situation. Neither one of them have anything to do with the transgender population, which is very small. It's like under 1%. But now you've got a dynamic because of marketing because of the way that it's discussed uh, as, you know, children are, are uh, elevated and, and praised for and, and get attention for uh, ostensibly being transgender, you have the creation of a fad, of a dynamic then that becomes larger than what is, is normal, uh, and people launching onto it, as we've seen fads over time uh, expand. The problem is, is that when you've got these dynamics, because I think I know a number of transgender people, I realize the majority of Americans don't know any. And from the beginning, when there was the bathroom fight, I would get phone calls from people saying, you know, this, none of us worry about bathrooms. What is going on? <laughs> who is doing this? And you can also reflect on someone like Caitlyn Jenner, who, because as you've noted, this, uh, the, the, the dysphoria dynamic and this situation, for those of us who don't uh, have never experienced it, uh, it's, it seems very foreign. But if you're having a, a sense, as it's described to us, as being the other gender, and this is what Caitlin expressed and acted on in her 60s and 70s, uh, in, and uh, being, of course, a public person with a family, a famous family and famous children, and, and feeling compelled to go through the, the entire transition because of it's a dramatic experience, a dramatic decision to make. And that and she also is like appalled at the imagery and about the messaging that is being sent that Americans look at a Dylan Mulvaney or the Adidas thing and think, oh, this is the transgender movement. And my, my message is, um, no, it's not. These are experiences, our advertisements, our marketing frameworks is propaganda. I think to virtue signal, it is to, it, we were looking at like the woman who is the, the marketing person for Bud Light and Hauser-Busch, uh, who has since left, came right from college into the vice presidency uh, to do this with Anheuser-Busch. You've got the you know, most limited worldview coming out of colleges these days. Uh, a groupthink framework, uh, and they're doing what they what they've only known. They think perhaps everyone does need to be taught a lesson. What all the stuff we think about going on in the academy 
is has moved into and is moving into corporate America, law, education, and they've got these worldviews that are artificial uh, and and bizarre. And this is why we're we're seeing this because marketing usually can come in at a lower level where the higher ups, like the president of Anheuser Busch, wouldn't necessarily know that that was the decision that was being made. Uh, because it's so routinized, uh, and then you get problems like this. The, the, the problem with Adidas is that this person is in a, the model, and the shots are made in a way so that it is the bulge that women do not have uh, and the hairy chest that is highlighted. And my question also is, besides the fact that it is not a reflection of transgender people or of the movement, if you're a transgender person, you're not a transgender person because you want to parade around a women's spa with all of your junk hanging out. It's not because you want to get into a woman's sorority and walk around with an erection, uh, as is being alleged in, in one particular case, because you're around the women. We see sexual predators engaging in this. Uh, we, we see people who are just opportunists, like in the sports uh, environment, all in the name of a transgender dynamic. And my friends are very concerned about how that is having, how that's making Americans view them and the issue and, and their concerns are legitimate. And I think that's why partly I feel compelled to say this is, uh, this is a weaponizing of an issue specifically to get attention, to make money, to take advantage of dynamics. And, of course, children are being brought into this realm now. Parents are being lied to. Uh, and it is, it's, it's something that we've got to be willing to say enough is enough. For your listeners to know, you're not being transphobic if you say this is unacceptable because some of the first victims here are the transgender community because of the imagery and the messages that are being sent. So this is... You know, I don't know if there's a more serious issue that we're dealing with because of right. the way that how quickly messages spread these days and how quickly fads can be uh, promoted and utilized. Let me just ask you one more question in the remaining seconds we have. What, what do you think would be, mm. what do you think would happen if the celebration of Black History Month, if all of a sudden we had major companies, let's say an Adidas or let's say a Bud Light or let's say any one of these same companies, if they put on the face of their advertising campaign mm -hmm. to honor Black History Month, let's say they put up a white person who identified as, as black and was in blackface. Mm -hmm. Do you think, what do you think the reaction to that would be? And do you think that that is a fair analogy to make to what's going on here? Well, you know, I think that it's it's crossed my mind in the sense of the because, you know, the uh, minstrel shows, the obscenity of the nature of the denigration of and what those minstrel shows were meant to do, which is denigrate uh, the people they were portraying, making them irrelevant, um, making them as though caricatures. And that was the intent. There's nothing nice meant uh, via minstrel shows or blackface. And, and we did have a situation with Rachel Dolezal, who right. got to be head of an NAACP chapter, that she identified as black. But that conversation then is like this conversation, which is 
and, and you know, as as a white woman uh, who is, appears to be white, it's it, uh, obvious, I think, to, to all of us is that black Americans have had a distinctively different history in this country. When you're born as a black person, your life will be different than if you were born as a white person. You are perceived differently. Our, the, our lives are different, just as our lives as women are different from men. When I walk yes. out of a building, my life is different than when a man walks out of a building. If you, when you walk out of a building as a black man, your experience during the day will be noticeably or not noticeably, but it will be different than a white man's experience. So it's not about because you feel like a woman that it makes you a woman. Or if you dress in a woman's swimsuit, that is, you know, the accoutrement, the, this idea, this caricature of what a woman is. It is our life experience. So, you, so Rachel Dolezal, identifying as black, it was insulting, obviously, and, and that was dealt with and acted on. But it dismisses the nature of life experience when you are a minority or when you are disenfranchised. Uh, it's, it's, it, it diminishes it. Uh, and it, it diminishes the people who've experienced those differences. And I think that that's where there's a similarity, is in well, Tammy, what it means to be a woman and to grow up as a woman versus a man putting on a woman's swimsuit. Tammy, thank you so much. We have to have you back. And we, you know, yeah. I'd like to spend a lot more time with you, Tammy. I always enjoy our conversations, and I could just spend hours with you. You're, you are just an amazing intellect. And I am blessed to have you as a friend. Tammy, and thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Have a great day. James, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, coming back. Your calls are coming right up. Don't go away. Rush. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurley. Bo Snurley. On 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snerdley. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snerdley. Rush. Now, here's Bo Snerdley. A quick programming note, my friends. Tomorrow, Bo Snerdley's Rush Hour is going to be preempted. My very dear friend for decades, Rita Cosby, will be interviewing former Governor... Andrew Cuomo during this time slot tomorrow. Now, here's the deal. You can participate. You can ask any question. Those questions that you have been waiting and wanting to ask. Former Governor Cuomo, tomorrow is your moment. Yes, I know, I know. But take advantage of it. Governor Cuomo is going to be here on 77 WABC. And you can <clears throat> question him about whatever. At 800-848-WABC, let's head to the telephones indeed and start with BJ from Queens. How are you, BJ? Hey, J-Bo, what's the story? Um, yeah, <laughs> thanks, that's, Ernie. That's gonna stick on you, pal. I love yeah, you. Thanks, Ernie. I love Ernie. Thank you. I love I like him it. too. He's the best. Yeah. Anyway, these getting back to more serious. 
These turnstile hoppers are driving the MTA fares up and these fare beaters, and the doofus that runs the MTA, his answer is to punish the rest of us with a fare increase. This doofus, who's more comfortable around an Excel spreadsheet than he is around people, should be fired. And maybe we can use the, that, less, that salary to keep the fares down. Wow, you have said a mouthful. And let me tell you something. That, yes, BJ said a mouthful. And uh, let me tell you something. That is right on point, okay? The MTA has admitted they are losing millions of dollars to fair beaters. And instead of bringing the cost under control by prosecuting the fair beating and making sure that let the criminals do what they want to, we're going to punish the people who actually do pay the fares by making them pay more to roll the dice. That is a great point. Let us go to Joe in Jericho, New York. How are you, Joe? Well, I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire. First of all, about this, the veterans being turned out. I'm glad it was a full story, but Martina Baruda, for 40 years was in charge of the VA, federal VA in New York City. And she knowingly had the VA cops, the nasty ones, turn American veterans in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, crippled over with arthritis and bursitis and phlebitis, out into the elements with 13 nor'easters coming in. I know this is for fact, and I was there. On top of it, this is the East 23rd Street Federal VA Hospital. And on top of that, she embezzled $40 million from the VA, and she was allowed to quietly retire a year and a half ago with a pension and benefits. That's the ultimate betrayal of American veterans, 66% of the homeless men and now, women. Now, let me just say this. I, let, let me just say this. The, when you make allegations like that, the only thing I will step in and say is, I'm really unfamiliar with this story. You claim to have knowledge of it, so I'll have to check it. And I'm not... I'm not, by the way, uh, disputing your allegations. I'm saying I don't know, and I haven't vetted it. And that's how, by the way, we all got in trouble with this New York Post story, because we couldn't vet it ourselves. So let me just give a little general pushback, because I hadn't heard that before. But I think to your point about the veterans being mistreated at VA hospitals, I don't think there's any doubt that veterans' hospitals have been in a crisis mode. We've seen this, and what the, the thing that we've seen over administration over administration after administration. We keep hearing the same thing. Oh, we're going to really improve care at the veterans' hospitals. Now, there are some veterans who will say that things have improved. But obviously, there are many veterans who are saying that there's not enough. And so that needs to be uh, definitely worked on. I worked on, I I just lost my screen. Where do we go next? Give me somebody good. Uh, Go for uh, John, Staten Island. John in Staten Island. How are you, John? All right there, Bo. I was going to mention, you know, the guy just spoke about uh, the MTA uh, top guy, whatever. Listen, there's board members. I'm looking at, if you Google it right now, there's five white people being appointed by politicians to run the MTA board members. You know what? Fire all those white racists. Put some black people and take the subway <laughs> in. And, oh, come and on. <laughs> Cuomo, uh, Cuomo's girlfriend was on the board one time. I thought that would be nepotism if you call that. Well, well, well. Uh, he'll be on tomorrow. 
you know, you can ask him any question that you want to. He will be on in this time slot tomorrow. So by all means, I hope my listeners participate and participate with with glee tomorrow. Uh, he'll be on. Uh, time for one more quick call, and we have to do this really quickly. Okay? Andrew in Stanhope, New Jersey. Got to make your point quick. Time's running out. Cuomo, his role in the Fannie and Freddie subprime loans and the NAACP. I interviewed one of the leaders at a Save you know, Justice for Trayvon. They don't do anything productive. They don't provide legal services for black people who they think were discriminated against, not tutoring, job training, nothing, counseling. So what do they actually do? They just support liberal policies that backfire and take the followers out of the homes. I asked him, why don't you have a to have the father in the home, and he looked at me real puzzled, and he said, well, this Well, you know knows. what? You know what? This is the thing. I remember when the NAACP used to actually be for the advancement of people, as I said earlier, and not a subsidiary of the Democrat Party. That's the time we have for today. Remember, tomorrow, preemption, my good friend, my dear friend, Rita Cosby, will have Governor Cromwell here tomorrow. Make sure that you participate May God bless and protect each and every single one of you and your families and loved ones. It is an honor, a blessing, and I have gratitude for you being here with me for Boston Early's Rush Hour. God willing, we'll be here on Wednesday to resume. Bye.